Okay, if you didn't hear me, um, grab a Bible, open a new tab, and let's get looking at James 2, verses 14 to 26. So it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but, nothing, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith um, without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited, him, credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I almost think what more is there to add? James says it all. Um, he's so clever. Actually, this is the word of God. So God is so clever. He knows exactly what he's saying. Um, and this is a really juicy passage, as I mentioned. It might be helpful to picture it into three parts. You've got the case, the argument, and then the evidence. And um, this reminds me of a time. In 2017, I worked at Disney World for three months in Florida, and I had really bad mental health out there, and I developed laryngitis. So physically and mentally, I was not in a good place at all. But it was during that time where I felt broken, abandoned, desolate, that it was through the people around me that I was able to keep going, and I knew that God was with me, that he saw my struggles, and he hadn't abandoned me, because he was using those people to show me his kindness and his reassurance. One particular um, time that comes to mind is when I had a few days off in a row, which was really random, um, and I booked to go and see my aunt and uncle in New York. I messaged them, and 30 minutes later, yeah, come and visit us. But I really needed that because I just needed a sense of home. I needed some respite. So I booked my ticket. I went to the airport the next day. And I had the most horrific journey I've ever had in my life. Um, I cried the whole flight there because just before boarding, I accidentally dropped my phone in the toilet and it died. And for somebody who felt alone and abandoned, for me to lose my phone, which was my only connection to my parents and the outside world, I was just lost. I was so broken um, and anxious. So uh, the phone turned on once more for the final time in its life for me to quickly write down my aunt's number because I'd lost my boarding pass, I'd lost contact with my parents, and I lost her number as well. And that then meant that a flight attendant was able to write down the number, book my ticket, I'd print my ticket, call another flight attendant at JFK, get them to wait for me and meet me, to then help me find my aunt. While I was crying on the flight, the lady and her son who was sat next to me weren't put off by it, thinking, oh my gosh, what's going on over here? They actually tried to comfort me 
and she was talking to me about pie shops and places to go in New York. And my aunt and uncle showed me so much kindness. Um, she cooked me my favorite meal. They took me everywhere um, in New York. And she also helped me um, to find a phone shop where I had to spend my Disney pay on a new phone, but it was worth it. I still use that phone to this day. I'm, I'm not letting anything happen to that phone. So hopefully that's an example of how our words in action and showing kindness can really help. But I wonder um, who's ever been in a situation like in verse 15, either where you are being asked to help or you're the one who's asking for help. And who's ever responded like in verse 16, just with words of comfort and reassurance? Sometimes that's all we can give. The Bible says that the tongue has the power of life or death, and words are so important. But like James highlights in this situation, those comforting words have made no difference to, to the person's situation, and it just comes across as a bit futile and hypocritical. Maybe for the born-again believers that James is addressing in this passage, their response in verse 16, which I know that I've responded with too, might be due to their um, time, their effort, feeling a little bit inadequate, feeling a bit awkward. Those are the things that stop them from um, wanting to help. And what do you think of somebody who is all talk and no action? That's the phrase that comes to mind. You might think that, oh, they're a bit flaky, they're not trustworthy, they're unreliable. What does James say about the Christians who have faith and no action. He says that their faith is useless, it's dead. And he even goes so far as in verse 19 to say, they're a bit like a demon, even the demons believe in God. I know for me in my role where I serve the community, sometimes complacency can stop me from putting my faith into action. I feel like, oh, I've done my bit, I'm tired. But actually in verse 18, we can see that James knows that. Um, and, and he says, uh, if we look at it here, it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. We know that Paul says that we're justified by our faith and not our works. And, and that's it. There's no coming back against that. It's so true. We can't earn our salvation. All we have to do is simply believe in Jesus and that puts us right with God. And this passage has been seen to contradict James, um, sorry, to contradict Paul but actually, when we look at what James is saying, we see that that's not the case at all. James's case for this faith that lives out through action is because faith is so powerful, because it's so strong. It's because of that faith in Jesus. Our natural response is to be like him. It's the faith and the spirit that works in us that moves us into actually doing. Otherwise, we can rest on our laurels um, and we can become complacent. And, and what's the problem with that? It says that a man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God does look at the heart. The passage from last week, we, we saw that mercy triumphs over judgment. And God shows us mercy, but he also calls us to show mercy towards others as well. He calls us to action, to love our neighbor, to be imitators of God, and to share the, share the gospel. And if we don't do that, then we're, we're not doing what God has called us to do. So as James says in verse 18, someone might say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. James's comeback here is so good. He's saying, put your money where your mouth is. How can you show someone what you mean 
without doing it. It reminds me of the playground at school where a kid would say to you, prove it. We know that God loves us because he sent his son who died for us. Through Jesus' action, we've been reconciled to God. And in the same way, we can bear witness, we can show God's love to others um, by doing exactly the same. We're not going to die um, for for our friends and family, but what we are going to do is do what God has called us to do, which is to show them love, to be Jesus' hands and feet. So what does this faith that is alive and active and powerful look like? And we've got two examples, the evidence of Abraham and Rahab. Um, And let's have a look at those now. So I think the answer to this question is one and the same. James uses these two figures to illustrate that faith in action and faith which is so powerful um, and has a natural response in that way, which is a bit like, it reminds me of how a a plant grows towards the sunlight. It's just a natural thing. That's how you can tell that the seed is alive. Um, He says that that looks like choosing to have confidence and trust in God and being obedient, whether he's asking us to do something or whether we're having to make a decision ourselves. So first is Abraham, the father of faith. And James is talking to um, these believers in verse 21 and verse 24. He says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. I remember when reading that passage in Abraham, um, of Abraham and Isaac thinking, what? Why would God ask this man to sacrifice his son? What kind of, what kind of thing is that? But it was a test and it's an extreme example. And as I said, God isn't asking us to sacrifice our loved ones um, at an altar for him. He sacrificed his own son Um, to reconcile us. But what it does show is that out of his faith, his obedience, his love, his trust, his reverence, and his fear of God, Abraham's faith, which made him righteous, then followed through by his action. It's, uh, It's easy also to think, well, Abraham is Abraham. He's a father of faith. I'm just a 21st century individual trying to survive a global pandemic day by day. And I really understand that. But also, let's look at the example of Rahab. It says in verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? When we look at Rahab, we see that she lived out her faith through a spur-of-the-moment decision and she actively helped people who were in need. She had so much wisdom, uh, and she had discernment in that moment. And it was really tense. It was probably a little bit scary. She had people knocking on her door, asking questions. But because of her faith and her trust in God, she just followed through. And it started with her heart first. And just coming back to that example of Abraham, um, it says that he was called God's friend in verse 23. Isn't it amazing to be considered God's friend, the most powerful being in the entire world, the most loving, the most kind? 
Imagine having favor with somebody like that. This can be true for us too. There's that saying which is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If God is your friend, imagine what your future looks like. It looks like a future um, that, that's heaven. So despite the difference between these two characters, which is quite broad, um, they're different in authority. They're a, a man and a woman, and their actions look completely different as well. We can see that having faith, which is put into action, faith which is alive, which is not useless, the faith um, that comes from believing in Jesus, looks like being obedient, listening, loving, trusting, and following God. So what does this mean for us today? Well, just like Abraham and Rahab have been able to encourage us and James's audience with their own faith and challenge them as well, let's look at the biggest example we have, which is Jesus. If Jesus ignored his calling, if he, if he didn't live out his faith through his action, his followers would have thought he was fake, his opponents would have had a field day, and we wouldn't know the true nature and character of God. I think if Jesus just did the easy bits um, and did what suited him, if he didn't do the messy or complicated parts, I don't think he would have taken his time to heal people or to sit down and talk to them. I don't think he would have died for us. Imagine that. The best news that I've had in my entire life, which has been life-changing, is that Jesus died for me and God loves me. And this is true for all of us. So hallelujah and praise God that Jesus did live out his faith and that he died so that we could have a relationship with God, that we can know that we're his children, that we have a place in heaven and that he's our father. And in the same way that we look at the example of Jesus, we are also called to action as well. Informal volunteering, which isn't volunteering where you've signed up, um, during the pandemic was at 47%. That's so high. That's people just wanting to help out their neighbors. And what we're talking about here is way more than good deeds. This is way more than acts of kindness. This is kingdom work. We pray thy kingdom come. We have the spirit dwelling in us as we believe. And it's through, it's through that commissioning that we're called to put our faith into action and to live it out in full. And when we look at Jesus, we can see that he worked with those who were marginalized. He healed people. He sat and ate with the poor and the tax collectors, the people that society didn't necessarily like or want anything to do with. He was patient with his opposers. And he also showed no favoritism and no discrimination as well. So bearing all of that in mind, and our vision is to see faith rise, the church rise, and the city rise. What is God calling you to do through your faith? How is he calling you to be a part of this? I think that requires a little bit of a faith health check. So how's your faith right now? When I was at Disney, I worked at the Haunted Mansion, which is one of the darkest, spiritually draining places I have ever been in my, I say in my life, but it's so true. It was such a tough time. And I cried every day before I went into work. I would be on my hands and knees crying, but also praying 
because the only way that I got through it was with God's help and how he used those people around me, how he stayed with me and met me in that moment to take me to where I am now. And being a spear coach, that experience at Disney is so relevant to my job today when we're talking to the trainees about their own search for work. So if you too feel like you are in a bleak, dismal, scary place, if you feel like you're on a ride and you can't get off it, hopefully it's coming to an end soon. We've got the building opening up um, for in-person services. We've got a roadmap out of lockdown. But if that's you, God loves you and he is your friend and he wants to see you flourish. He wants to see you thrive. He wants you to have that faith where you can live it out in full, where it's completely life-changing. And he's given us our words to use in order to pray. So I want to encourage you to pray and to talk to God. If you need support, then come and tell us as well, and we'd love to pray for you. But on that note, we know that God is merciful, that he's just, and he's loving. So let's pray and ask for him to refresh, replenish, and renew us today so that we can live our lives to the full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, who we just have to believe in, died for us. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your love. Thank you for our place in heaven. And we ask and claim it today, Lord. We invite Jesus uh, into our lives and we pray for more faith. We pray that you'd give us opportunities to be your hands and your feet. And we pray that you meet us where we're at and you take us to show us where you want us to be and who you are calling us to be. We receive you, Father, and we pray for the Spirit to come and dwell. In Jesus' name, amen.